Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz as we kick off the afternoon with the call 10 stocks that uh, you suggested we take a look at. I put it to an expert panel for their adjudication and we do it all in 60 minutes. It's fast and furious and very informative, particularly from these two blokes or our panel today. Andrew Willard from DP Wealth Advisory in Toowoomba. Andrew, good to see you. You're well. Koshi going super well despite the company I'm keeping. Um, uh, going well. <laughs> and the company he is keeping is uh, Henry Jennings <laughs> from Marcus today as well. Henry, how are you, big fella? You well? I'm great, thanks, Koshi. Thanks, Andrew, for that those wonderful words as always. <laughs> Got you back, buddy. Got you back. Uh, these two, um, uh, we've already asked them for their uh, stocks to uh, buy in a, a crash, so we don't need to ask them again. Uh, interestingly, Andrew Willen didn't go for an ETF, uh, went for Macquarie Bank, and uh, and Henry went for L1, is it, the uh, long short fund. I think Henry suggested for the for the pullback. Um, Gary Glover, uh, you'll be interested today from Novus Capital. Andrew did go for an ETF uh, in his crash. It was a geared ETF, um, a long short ETF. So um, oh, a geared ETF. Well, that's all right then. That's fine. Yeah, no problems. <laughs> yeah. So if he's if he's on my territory, it's ETF. It's a different story. But if he wants to go down the geared path or you know synthetics or whatever, go for it, Gary. All yours, mate. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, was that a bit of a sledge? <laughs> Anyhow, um, I, tell, I tell you what, uh, as I've been saying over September and October, it always scares me and there seemed to be a wall of worry in uh, October. You had uh, uh, Evergrande, you had Chinese economic slowdown, um, um, how different economies were coping with COVID outbreaks. But Henry, the, um, the market... Well, the American market last night, the Dow back up to a record, had a 5% pullback and has now bounced back. I know, Koshi, it's amazing, isn't it? We've got a whole generation of traders, investors and fund managers that have never really seen a pullback. And I was just reminiscing uh, with some friends the other night because this is the week of 87 when the market yep. crashed. And I was a humble floor trader on the option market in London. Uh, and it was a wild and exciting adrenaline-packed week. Luckily, I was at a point in my career where I had no money because they didn't actually pay us very much in those days. And in fact, they still don't. But uh, I had no money, so I didn't actually have any money in the market in shares. But I, did, I was a trader for the company, and we had a, a wild ride. So, yeah, every October, people get a bit wobbly and a bit uh, concerned about things. It's... I was writing this morning in the news there actually how the market only seems to be able to concentrate on one issue at a time. And this week, of course, the issue that is driving markets, especially the US market higher, is corporate earnings, which are coming out pretty well. Hmm. And uh, we are seeing the market push to record highs again on the back of those. 
forget the fact that the Aussie 10 years 1.8%, forget the fact the US 10 years 1.64%, forget the fact that GDP in the US is being revised downwards. UK Bank of England governor is talking about putting rates up. Forget all that. Forget Nevergrande. It's, um, at the moment, it's all about corporate earnings, and I suspect it will be for a few more weeks. But then we will shift back to other issues. So it might get interesting, just a little wobble again before Christmas, perhaps. But I, I must admit, you know, Chuck Prince had it right when he said, as long as the music's playing, you've got to get up and dance. And I, no one wants to see me dance, I've got to say, but <laughs> I, I am dancing in... I am dancing in side coach. In fact, it's probably best to see me dance in the dark, as Bruce Springsteen would say. And um, Andrew, are you a bit uh, a bit nervy about the the strength of the market at the moment? Um, Henry's right. There there are a lot of dark clouds there, but everyone's ignoring it. Is it is it just weight of money? Sorry, I, I, I was preempting your question when you said oh, you're a bit nervy. I thought you were about to say about watching Henry dancing. I was going to say. <laughs> It's a whole other story, as opposed to, you know, me busting a move, but we won't go there. Um, look, a few things going on, Koshi. Market is ultimately right. You and I and Henry might have a view. The market's always right. And at the moment, that market is being driven in part a lot by retail investors. Every time there's a dip, they're buying the dip. And remembering that in the US in particular, a lot of these retail investors got a boatload of cash through all that stimulus money. So at some stage, that sort of buying the dip mentality, to Henry's point, a lot of these people actually haven't experienced a decent 20% pullback. Uh, it'll be certainly interesting to see how they go with that. Plenty of dark clouds on the horizon, US debt ceiling, Evergrande, um, inflation concerns. I mean, you could rattle them off uh, infinitum, but at, Henry's right, at the moment, it's all about US earnings. US earnings is looking positive, so you just keep riding that bucking bronco. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, I, got a I got a crackle in my ear when you said <laughs> bucking it. I thought, did he really? And, and then I realised yep. that it started with a B, but <laughs> it was unfortunate. Okay. Um, all right, let's get into the stocks that you want us to take a look at. And Sam... Uh, Henry wants a view on Field Solutions. This is a, a telco, isn't it? Um, a broadband telco, but uh, based in, uh, focuses particularly on regional areas, just did a capital raise of uh, $20 million to gear up or uh, have cash in the bank if they want to extend the network. Uh, what, what do you think of Field? I have to say, Koshi, I hadn't really come across this one before, and it, it has been a sleeper for many a long year, but it has recently woken up, and it's not looking too bad. I've got to say, regional and rural Australia is probably very under-provisioned in terms of, uh, you know, the NBN, etc. And we even saw Telstra the other day admit that, you know, maybe things aren't that flash out in the bush. And, of course, we're all moving out to the bush, and we mm. all want, you know, big, big city NBN, uh, in the middle of nowhere, uh, in some cases. So I, I don't mind this one at all. They did do the raise at 16.5 cents. So I suspect there might be still a little bit of indigestion. There was, uh, you know, twice as much asked. Well, they asked for 20 mil. I think they got uh, 40 million commitments. But you know, that's the way of the market at the moment. Everybody's just throwing money at any placement because you can, you know, turn it all off pretty quickly and uh, turn it around pretty quickly. So. I don't mind this one. I think they might dribble back to around 17, 18 cents. But I think at that price, it's probably a buy. They're tapping into the right 
vain, I guess, and they've also got some big ambitious plans. Now they're cashed up as well, and they are filling that void in regional and rural Australia where others have failed, and it is quite mm. a a big niche and probably probably getting bigger so I don't mind this one at 19 and a half I'd probably be a little bit circumspect but at 18 which you know let's face it if it's long term you're only talking about uh, you know seven or eight percent but 18 cents yeah I think this one's worth having a go at okay um, Andrew what do you think well as someone who is the unofficial spokesperson for regional and rural Australia here on the call I think that's in my contract Koshi I'm sure I asked for that to be put in there. <laughs> oh, uh, I was going to say go to our regional correspondent but I thought you might you might sort of pull me up and say Toowoomba is a city and don't call <laughs> it's Koshi we just said that never sleeps. Toowoomba is the second largest inland city in Australia after Canberra. So, you know, just steady, steady up in the Toowoomba comments, all right? Just okay, steady all up right. That was paying homage to it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, look, back to um, FSG or Financial Services Guide, if you were talking uh, financial services jargon. Um, interesting business, everything that Henry just said. I guess the thing for me, though, a couple of amber lights, one being that only $33,000 of shares a day are traded. So it's pretty thinly traded. And you've also got the CEO, Mr. Roberts, who's got around 36 to 39% from memory, which is great because, Koshi, as you know, one of my measures is, you know, are the owners, the, the board sort of fellow yep. owners with you. Yep. But as we also know, when you've got management um, or the board having significant holdings, that in part can mean you've got a liquidity issue, which we've just seen, you know, only $33,000 a day traded. But relating to the need for adequate, I'm not even talking good, I'm just talking adequate NBN or telecommunications in rural and regional Australia, uh, I could talk all day about that. So I like the business, 17, 17 and a half is probably the mark as a buy. So at the moment it's a hold that placement needs to flush on through, but yep. Uh, yep. don't chase it would be my tip, as I'm sure Henry would agree as well. $33,000 a day, we, uh, you'd move this along pretty quickly if you were trying to buy a yep. decent bid. Okay. All right. Um, Mike wants a view on Red Iron, uh, Red Hill Iron. Andrew, uh, is it a buy now? As I saw, they're going to pay dividends very soon. Um, it's about $1.20 a share. They have iron and gold and base metal explorer, mainly in the Pilbara region in in Western Australia. Um, Andrew, what do you think of Redhill? Yeah, so there's two parts to this, Koshi, and certainly what's come up on Mike's radar, if I'm reading his question correctly, is around that stellar dividend. You know, the share price is what in the fours, and uh, they're talking about paying $1.20, not talking, they are going to be paying $1.20 per share as a fully frank dividend. So, you know, immediately people's eyes are lighting up like Christmas trees going, $1.20, how good is that? And it is great, but you've got to look as to how they've done it. And the reason they're doing it is they've recently sold off their Red Hill Iron Ore venture to Mincor, I think it was, and um, for around $200 million. So even post the sale, they're still going to have about $100 odd million back. And I think there might even be some more money coming um, out of that sort of uh, sale as well once they get that first shipment away. So really, first thing is don't necessarily 
you know, get sucked in for the want of a better term for the allure of that dollar twenty dividend. It's not as if the business is pumping out enough earnings to justify it's going to do it all the time. In essence, it's a one-off. You're getting some of that money back, and you will find the share price will fall back. So again, the second part of, to the question then relates as to, you know, the outlook for nickel, and you know, we could talk about that all day relating to the demand for green metals and so forth. Um, and in the context of how the business is performing, it seems quite sound. But from my point of view, I'd like to wash, watch that dollar twenty get paid out, and then sort of see the stock settle. Because of course, the moment that they announce they're paying that dollar twenty, lots of people are buying it to try and chase that dividend, and it's yep. inflating it. Plus, again, you've only got about sixty-nine thousand dollars a day of shares traded. So again, it's also a fairly liquid company as well. So um, Koshi, it's a hold. Okay, um, Henry Red Hill Iron. Um, this is an interesting one, Koshi. I've got to say, I hadn't come across it. So they've done this deal with Mineral Resources, not MinCore. So Andrew, sorry, sorry about that. M I N Min. Uh, mineral resources. Now they've sold this Red Hill Iron joint venture. They've saved, sold 40% of that for 400 million bucks. Now the capitalization of this company is 300 million dollars. So that's instantly they're undervalued. Now they're returning uh, a big chunk of that money fairly quickly. Uh, I think uh, November, November the 10th, you're going to get your dividend check, a dollar 20. Um, and that uh, will be a big, big sort of capital return. Now, the 400 million bucks that they're getting for the for the 40% uh, of this uh, joint venture is split into two. So they get 200 million up front, and then they get another 200 million when they first start shipping iron ore. And there's also a royalty stream on the back of it as well. Mm -hmm. So they're going to get income off the back of it. It's a little bit like Deterra in some ways with BHP yeah. and their. Um, their iron ore business there. So Deterra get a, a royalty stream off the back of the flank project that BHP have got going. So um, I think this one looks quite interesting. They've also got another project, which is the Panawanica uh, iron ore project as well. So you're getting that for pretty much nicks at the moment. They certainly look as if they pulled off a big deal. Now, of course, the key to it will be getting the, the next 200 million as opposed to the first 200 million. But uh, certainly shareholders are going to do well out of this. I probably agree with Andrew to wait and see how it settles. It's not the most highly traded company. Again, this is another thin 23,000 shares only traded today. It had a massive jump, of course, when it announced that deal with Mineral Resources. And as it should, of course, because it was a fantastic deal. So, you know, when you're getting 400 million, OK, it's going to be two tranches. And that one, one depends on uh, actually shipping the stuff. But also you're getting that royalty stream as well. I think it doesn't look bad, but maybe if, you, if you've had a rush of blood to the head and pushed it five bucks on thin volume, maybe you just wait a little while. Uh, time is not actually on your side because they're ex-dividend on the 28th of October, so next week, uh, this time next week actually. So, um, But yes, it's just thin, that's the trouble. If you had someone you wanted to sell out before the dividend, and it's not really a dividend, let's face it, it's a capital return. Yep. Yeah, you know, they've made a lot of they made a lot of Wonga on this JV, and they're just paying it back to shareholders, uh, fully franked, which is uh, which is a good deal. But three hundred million dollar market cap and four hundred million dollar deal with a royalty and another project in the wings doesn't look bad mm. to me. So I'd put you down for a hold as well, same as Andrew. I think I think of, I think at five bucks it's a hold. It popped up to four bucks initially, and I think it's got pushed up a little bit too high. But anything okay. uh, around four to four fifty, I think it's probably mm. a buy. You get that dividend. 
and then you're locked in for another 200 million bucks on the royalties as well as the new project. Okay. All right. Holly wants a view, um, Henry, on RPM Global, the mining software company. They recently bought um, Blueprint Environmental Strategies to add to their ESG consulting business to, uh, to mining companies. Uh, what do you think of RPM? Uh, well, it's good code, R-U-L uh, for RPM. I've got to say, I like this company. I've liked it for a long time, but my patience was tested because this this was a company, and we've talked about this one before as well, because it is a company that in the old days, they sold software licenses for their software platform for mining companies uh, to optimize everything from you know pits to the extraction process, to doing the DFS, everything to do with the, with the mining these guys covered. Which is fantastic, and they sold them as a license. They've moved to a SaaS model, which is stickier, but it takes time for that stickiness to come through. It takes time for that revenue to come through. It is happening. The other great thing is they're also moving into the ESG side of things, and of course, there's been a massive focus on that recently with that report out from uh, the heritage site that uh, Rio unfortunately and tragically decided that uh, was surplus to requirements. Yeah. And as a result, you know, there's going to be a, a greater focus on ESG for mining companies. There's going to be a need for their software. Uh, it's not got the same pressures in terms of uh, shortage of staff, et cetera, and flying them in and flying them out and all that sort of stuff. And the software as a service side of this thing is going well. And the CEO, Richard Matthews, uh, has put his money where his mouth is with this one. He's actually bought, I think he owns about 3.7%. Uh, and he's bought that on market. He hasn't been give, given that as some sort of, uh, you know, welcome aboard, Richard. Uh, he has bought that on market. So I think that's a tick of approval. I like this one. Uh, and as it moves to the stickier software as a service business model that many have adopted, like Microsoft, and you know, that's the classic example, uh, I, I think they're going to gather momentum. So I think I think this one is still a buy. Okay, uh, Andrew. Yeah, look, I agree with my learned friend. It, well, it's a Queensland company to begin with, so if that's our sole measure, then it's obviously buy just in itself. But um, no, look, I, I like it a lot for all the reasons that Henry just espoused. It's uh, there's lots to like, and even if you do a deeper dive on the numbers, you're spot on, Henry. That SaaS revenue line is increasing, and these sort of perpetual legacy licenses are actually diminishing. So they really are building that subscription business. And to Koshi's point around that recent acquisition that they made, really focusing on the ESG, because if you look at where their revenue is coming from at the moment in that software subscription business, the three main uh, industries that are buying it are iron ore, which is okay, coal, well, again, if I've got my ESG frame on, maybe not so much, and mineral oil sands. And again, you know, perhaps that's not the most ESG friendly thing either. So. Not only are they tapping into a significant demand uh, for ESG software, but arguably they're also um, sort of de-risking their own business as well, given the demand that uh, the software um, providers have. So I, I like it a lot, and I too think it's a buy. Okay. All right, Holly, thank you for that. Uh, RPM's already in the calls portfolio, so it stays there as a result. Um, Andrew, Matt wants a view on um, ETF's semiconductor EDF, Matt says, given all the news about chip shortages due to production and infrastructure delays, how does this impact uh, semis, uh, future as a semiconductor-focused ETF? 
I'm expecting my fellow legendary Queenslander, Andrew Whelan, to take this on. So, uh, <laughs> Matt, your, your wish is our command. Matt, you're, you're a true Queenslander, mate. And uh, next time you're in Toowoomba, we'll, uh, we'll have a 4X. Well done, bravo. Uh, look, a lot, to, uh, a lot to unpack with Semi. I won't spend too long on it. Um, in fact, I was asked uh, by some of um, Henry's and my fellow newsletter uh, people as to my view. And I said, as I have with a number of these other new ETFs, regardless of how exciting it is, I just like to let them settle just to sort of get a view as to how they're trading, what demand's going to be like. And if I remember correctly, the demand for semi was uh, quite strong when it came onto the market because of that sort of significant demand there is for semiconductors in the world. I mean, you look at the average car, I think it's something like 25 to 30% of the total components are semiconductors. And that's just today. Never mind sort of looking over the horizon around things like AI, um, etc autonomous vehicles all that sort of stuff so i don't think there's any doubt for a moment relating to sort of the sort of three five seven year glide path relating to semiconductors but i think to matt the legendary queenslander right back at you bro uh, <laughs> the the thing to be thinking about is the supply shortages and if we're having a look at even most recently apple you know having to scale back the production of their own chips um, because the fact there just isn't enough supply there at the moment. So that, to me, is actually the biggest risk for this ETF and the broader industry, the supply constraints. And they're not going to go away in six or eight weeks, arguably not even in six or eight months. You know, we're probably talking 2023, potentially even 2024, dependent upon how pessimistic you want to be. But uh, certainly this is one that I'm really interested in in our thematic space. So you might remember, Koshi, that you've got your core ETFs and then you've got your thematics. This absolutely ticks the box on the thematic piece, but there's lots of moving parts on the supply space at the moment, which I'm quite concerned about. So it is a hold, but watching very closely. Okay. Henry? Henry? I've got no legendary status at all. I'm just a poor New South Welshman. Uh, and not even that really, because I'm a POM, I'm a Londoner. Uh, as far as this one goes, it hasn't been around very long. It hasn't done very well so far. I have to say there was a big sort of, uh, uh, splash and balloons and, uh, and poppers going off when it first listed. And, of course, it's a very popular thematic at the moment, as Andrew rightly points out. I, I guess the issue is, that, is the supply chain with, with chips is uh, somewhat constrained. And to get that going and to build it up is going to take some serious investment from, uh, from a lot of people. Uh, so that is a bit of a concern, I guess, that it, it's going to take a lot of money to get all the fabrication plants and get everything going. And there's lots of people making lots of plans and lots of noises. Um, and as with most things, as with most commodities, if we just take this as a commodity, forget how many there are in, the, in a car. My car's 18 years old, so it's got very few of these semiconductors in it, luckily. Um, but if you just take it as purely as a commodity, you know, we see this time and time again, you've got a lack of supply and big constraints. So everyone rushes out and builds capacity and builds up a plant. And then a year or two down the track, everyone looking at each other going, oh, we built a lot of stuff we don't need now. It's the same, you know, at the moment we got avocados for a dollar because everybody rushed out and planted avocados uh, when there was a massive um, constraint on supply there. So I think you have to be a little bit careful that we don't all rush out and build these big fab plants and these, uh, these semiconductor plants. And a lot of this is, uh, is 
put into the, the Dutch printer of the semiconductor circuit boards, yeah. ASML as well. So I think there's just, for me, I'd be awaiting and seeing. It's a great theme, hasn't been going long. Uh, you are exposed to some big companies, but I just worry that everyone's going to rush out and, and spend the money to get the kind of the, the supply going. And then they're all going to turn around and go, oh, we don't need quite as many as we thought. Mm. Ooh, there's a bit of a glut going on now because that's the way commodities work. That's, yep. that's, that's life. Yep. Yep. Never it's rains, the, but it pours. Yep, it's the high-tech version, isn't it? All right, uh, King yeah. wants a view, uh, uh, Henry, on Ambertech. Uh, King says, I first heard this one mentioned in passing by Claude Walker from A Rich Life uh, back in May on Ausbiz. I don't think it's ever made an appearance on the call yet. Maybe one for Henry Jennings, given it's a microcap and may sit nicely in his wheelhouse. Um, they import and distribute... Um, basically broadcast film um, technology for home theatres, uh, their dealers in it. Um, what do you think of Ambertech, Henry? i, I, I got to say, I, I hadn't really heard of this one at all. Uh, Amo in, in Latin, of course, is um, I love. So, And I've got to say, there's a lot to love about this one. They've just made an acquisition of a thing called Noise Toys. Now, I'm a bit of a musician myself, so this noise toys are basically toys that musicians use, especially guitarists. They're all the pedals that uh, oh, yeah. guitarists jump on and leap about and set up and all this sort of stuff. So it's quite a, a biggish market. Um, you know, if you talk to a guitarist, they've got you know, 30 of these things, and it's like trading uh, stamps or, um, or non-fungible tokens in some respects. It's quite incredible the way they switch and swap these things. Anyway, I won't go there, but... It's uh, AV. Things are opening up a little bit on AV side of things. Revenue is pretty strong. Dividend payouts pretty strong. Uh, dividend yields pretty strong as well. This acquisition, I think, is relatively good. And I've got to say, I, I don't mind this one at all. Um, it did do, um, has had a bit of a run. That's the only thing. It has had the, uh, the <laughs> mind you, what hasn't at the moment. So it has had a bit of a run. I think I'd be, if I was holding it, I would still hold it. But if I was looking at this afresh, I would wait for it to drop back to around the 35 cent level before okay. I got interested. So, you know, I think some of these small caps, it, there's so many of them around. It pays to have discipline. They're like buses. There's always another one coming along in a minute. So, you know, you, you can afford sometimes to miss one. You can jump on the next one. It's not the end of the world. But I, I'd be a little bit uh, a little bit reluctant to pay these kind of prices just at the moment. 35, 36 cents is probably more like it for me. Um, Andrew? Yeah, look, I uh, surprisingly once again agreeing with Henry. I'm not quite sure what's going on there anyway. I'm sure we can sort that out during the show. Um, it's only 37 million market cap. And again, third one we've had now where it's $38,000 a day traded. So it's very, very thinly traded. And so obviously someone's been chasing it and pushed it up, which is great if you're already in there, but you don't want to be one of the chaserers is such a word. Um, again, I would be worried about supply, supply chain constraints with this one as well, relating to importing the equipment and actually them even being able to source the equipment to begin with. But I agree with Henry, there's lots to like about this, lots, you know, 30% ROE, which is, you know, one of my favourite measures, financial measures, is that uh, return on equity. 36% revenue growth, trading on a P of eight, P of eight. 
and a 6% dividend. So probably the only other thing I don't like is the top 20%. Top 20 controls 77% of this company. So again, just reinforcing, it's very, very difficult to get set in. So you're going to need to be super patient with this one. But uh, yeah, back at that, just looking at the chart, back at that 30, 35 mark, probably 35 is more realistic, it's a buy. But at these levels, it is a hold. Okay. All right. They are. Uh, they are also in the middle of a cap. Sorry, they are also in the middle of a capital raise, which they're doing an investor presentation at the moment at forty cents. So the stock's down ten and a half percent today. So that could weigh on them as well. Right. Okay. Yep. All right. Let's recap the uh, first five stocks. Uh, Field Solutions. Um, if it was around seventeen cents, uh, Henry would be interested in it. If it dropped back to that level. Uh, it's a hold for Andrew. Um, Red Hill Iron, a hold from both. RPM Global, uh, both Andrew and Henry like RPM at these levels. Um, ETF Semiconductor, um, a hold, uh, basically a watch from Andrew and, and a wait from Henry because it's only hasn't been listed for very long. Wait until the dust settles. And Ambertech, little micro cap. It's had a run, hold if you're in it, and if it got back down to around 35 cents, then certainly Andrew and Henry would be interested in it then. Um, here at the call, we've been following our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner, NAB Trade. As I said before, RPM Global is already in it. Any stocks that get a yes from, um, unanimous yes from our expert panel, go into the portfolio. If it comes up again, uh, and gets a yes and a hold, or a hold it stays there. If it gets a no, then it comes out. Um, it's up uh, one and three quarter percent for the week, uh, one and a half percent for the month since the first of July this year, up seven and a quarter percent. And since inception on July the first last year, up 45 percent. Some of the stocks recently added. Uh, Veeam, Lark Distilling, Whisper, Mineral Resources and Inghams. Uh, some of the stocks taken out, Alcidian, PointsBet, Samphire Resources and Adairs. If you want to check all of the stocks and ETFs in the Coles portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio and we uh, track it here every day on the call. Uh, let's kick off our second five stocks uh, from Greg wants a view, Andrew, on Star Pharma, the biotech company, uh, pharmaceutical uh, group, um, Vivagel and DEP drug delivery. They're looking at a, a nasal spray now. Um, what do you think of Star Pharma? Yeah, it's an interesting business, but as these biotechs, they do move around. And this certainly isn't a small biotech by any stretch of the imagination. It's nearly a half a billion dollar one, Koshi, about 461 million. Uh, when we have a look at the chart, you'll see that uh, it just looks dreadful. That's a technical finance term. Uh, it just, yeah, like a dollar is probably where you actually want to be there. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So arguably it's certainly got more to go it's not very well followed consensus of one has a price target of two dollars <laughs> twenty on it and certainly if you can call that a consensus uh and certainly though their underlying products look sound that uh, viralese uh that's the nasal spray um has found to be effective against COVID 19 being sold in a number of pharmacies uh, throughout um, europe 
And uh, they recently raised, because my immediate concern, Koshi, was I thought, well, are they running out of money? But that's not the case. They went and raised about 46 million 12 months ago. And they're only burning, only burning about 15 million a year. So they've still got about four years worth of cash there. But yeah, this is at best a hold. And certainly, you know, if it went under the dollar, it probably becomes an interesting one to look at from a buy. But uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a hold at best on this Koshi at this stage. Okay. Henry? Well, as, as Andrew rightly says, this chart looks appalling, doesn't it? Um, I guess you could probably, if you did the, uh, the chart of sort of falling COVID cases and, and vaccinations around the world, you could probably mirror uh, the decline in this one. The big, the big sort of uh, white hope for this, with the virulence thing, of course, was the um, the nasal spray to uh, to combat COVID-19. Now, as we've vaccinated and we're all out and about, I'm not sure this has got quite the same attraction. Although in the UK, of course, we're still seeing 43,000 cases a day and 230 odd people dying every day. But that doesn't seem to be focused on very much at the moment. The problem that they have is they pushed out into Europe with the virulence thing and they fell foul of the Medicines and Healthcare Regulatory Agency in the UK. They made some promotional claims about virulence, which were basically just sort of a uh, well, bit porky pie. Um, and as a result, they did kind of fall foul of this. And it hasn't really recovered. They have another product, product called Viva Gel. Uh, which is uh, very useful in um, sexual health, uh, especially for females, for vaginosis, which um, it has been their sort of their, their premium product, if you like, for, for many years with Jackie Fairley running this company. But the virales kind of took over the, the zeitgeist, of course, with COVID was if you can spray it up your nose and it fixes you up, well, it's fantastic. And you know, we've probably got Donald Trump to, to thank for that little number. Um, but ever since the, the falling foul in, in the UK, it really has been a slippery slope. I, I like Andrew, would probably avoid this one. If you're going to play the biotech market, I think at the moment there's probably other biotechs that are interesting. RHY is one that uh, I had a member email me about this morning, colorectal cancer. Um, we're all familiar with that, I guess, if we're over 50 years old in yeah. terms of the, the little kit that the government sends you through, which is not the best little kit in the world, I have to say. And if there's a better way of doing it, then maybe we should do that. And uh, RHY is working on a better way of doing that. Yeah. So um, if, if you're going to go Specky Biotech, there's, there's plenty out there. This one is a two, two horse product company. Um, and it has been on a slippery slope and falling foul okay. of authorities with promotional claims. Never a great look. I, I'd, I'd avoid this one for the time being. Sure. Okay. All right. Henry David wants a view on uh, nickel mines. Uh, David says uh, currently 4% dividend yield, growth plan locked in to double nickel production in 12 months to become the fifth largest producer in the world, marginally ahead of BHP. Nickel price tailwinds is tied to uh, EVs. Um, yet the company has the added advantage of producing. Uh, products for EVs or for traditional stainless steel. Sovereign risk seems to be the usual question mark because they uh, produce this all out of Indonesia. Uh, but the company is 20% Chinese owned. Would Indonesia really rattle that cage? What's the panel's thought? Henry? Uh, well, Indonesia has rattled many cages before. 
and I'm sure it's going to rattle many cages again. Doesn't doesn't really matter who uh, who is the owner of this one. I got to say, with, with nickel mines, it does what it says on the box. And if you do like the nickel story, this is a really easy go-to story. If you put in spot prices, you, you probably get a nice big sort of 10% uplift in terms of valuations. And I was reading even this morning an article in the paper talking about how nickel shortages in Europe, forget the semiconductor and the chip shortages that we've seen in car production, actually nickel shortages are going to be a big thing as well. And you can see that, you know, BHP is going into nickel and they're getting out of other parts of their business. So I don't mind this one at all. This is, this is you know, it's quite volatile around this sort of dollar level. So that, that's the only thing. But certainly, you know, Indonesian nickel, there's, a, there's obviously the sovereign risk there. But I think this one has got legs. And bearing in mind the demand for nickel, the under capex, the under investment in nickel that we've seen in the last decade, I guess, um, this is going to be this is going to be a, a big part of the story. I think this is a buy. Whether you buy it at a dollar or a dollar ten, I think it's probably irrelevant in this one because it is right. a long-term thematic. And if we're looking at those sort of the semi ETF, this one probably fits into that long-term thematic. You might suffer some pain if you buy it here. But uh, I think it'll be a dollar fifty-two bucks uh, in a year's time. So um, yes, okay. a buy from me. Good, Andrew. Yeah, PE of nine on forecast EPS growth of thirty-five percent. So absolutely ticks that peg box. Into uh, Henry's point before around nickel. Nickel is on an absolute tear. It's I think it's seven-year highs at the moment, and the stocks in the LME, the London's Metal Exchange, lowest levels since 2019 because of these high energy prices in Europe means that they're not actually um, refining nickel as such. So um, all the, the moons are aligning. Relating to David's comment around Indonesia, there was some speculation that uh, the Indonesians may stick a 100% export tax because that's what you do. Uh, however, 50%, if that were to occur, 50% of uh, NIC's production is actually used within Indonesia. So it shouldn't impact them too much. And they have been walking back their story since. So I don't think it's a thing. Uh, t from a chart point of view, ideally a dollar. But look, if you've got to pay a dollar ten, if you believe consensus nine in this consensus group as opposed to one previously, a dollar forty is the target. So you're getting it for a dollar ten. So I'm quite relaxed in buying this one. Okay. All right, David. Thank you for that. Um, uh, on nickel mines um, now, uh, Andrew. Another ETF. Tim wants a view on the BetaShares Global Cyber Security ETF, which its uh, stock code is HACK, which I like. Yeah, so when I was fortunate enough to be on Henry's podcast earlier in the year, waiting for my next invitation, um, <laughs> the, <laughs> one of the things we spoke of, was that subtle? I'm not sure. I, sorry, I'll just yeah, try to no, be subtle. No, no, we got it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, one of the well, things if, we, we if someone about, If someone drops out, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 that's cruel. Thank you. The reserve orange peeler. Thank you very much. Um, exactly. One of the things Henry and I spoke about was, in fact, you know, these ETF names. And Henry talks about, you know, what on the name is on the tin, in the tin, so to speak. Well, hack obviously ticks that box. Uh, one of my favourite ETFs, as we know, the one ETF to rule them all is Qual. That's that's a given. But a very strong second, very strong second is hack. And hack uh, is around the cybersecurity thematic. 
And uh, if you just look around the world, there are plenty of bad actors in lots of places that you can think of, and they are just trying to scam you. And uh, all you need to do is look in your inbox every day and click on this link or download this or whatever the case may be. And businesses are having to pay significant, significant sums of money to protect themselves. And so virtually what you're doing, not virtually, actually what you're doing is you are paying the likes of um, Palo Alto Networks, Accenture, which is the big UK IT company, um, and even, what was the other one that came to mind? CrowdStrike, thank you. CrowdStrike, you're paying a number of these companies obscene sums of money to protect you. So uh, I'm, this is a buy and it's a thematic buy. Certainly if you look from a, a price point of view, you can see it's quite high, but this thematic is not going away. This thematic will only get worse. So I'm really comfortable. I hold it in my own super fund and on any weakness, I would personally be buying more. So it's a buy. Yeah, that's interesting. And Henry, I got, because uh, everyone's doing uh, digital signings now of everything. Uh, I've got a scam coming to my inbox, um, pretending to be DocuSign. So you've got, which I thought, right. flaming hell, if, it start, if that's the area the scammers are getting into at the moment, that's, there are going to be so many sitting ducks on that area. It's amazing. Um, what do you think of this thematic and, uh, and this ETF? It's funny, isn't it? I get emails constantly from you, Koshi, telling me I should buy uh, Bitcoin because there's some oh, no. secret that you've discovered that, that nobody else knows in the world about Bitcoin. Yeah, so, don't talk to me uh, about yeah. it. They're like cockroaches. Know, they just keep, all of these scammers keep I reappearing. I complain to Facebook. I complain to ASIC and Facebook takes them down and then they pop up again the next day on a different server out of Eastern Europe. It's just pathetic. They're always out of Eastern Europe, aren't they? Yeah. It's a wonderful thing, Eastern yeah. Europe. Um, and Eastern Europe, I guess, is the driving force of hackers. Andrew rightly points out this is a great thematic. It is not going away. Uh, this is a one to have in your portfolio. You can fiddle about with Australian um, cybersecurity companies, and there's one TNT, a Tesserent that we've been quite successful with, but they kind of got a bit bogged down recently. They've done a lot of acquisitions. But if you just want to go for the big boys, the Palos, uh, the uh, what is it? The Palo Altos, the Accentures, uh, the Crowd Strikes, who are going to do well, and it only takes one, you know, big cyber attack, uh, and we see them almost daily, I guess, in in various parts of the world. It just takes one big cyber attack, and every company goes out and goes, oh, hang on a second, we need to upgrade our firewall, we need to upgrade this, we need to do this. So uh, this is this is one to buy, as Andrew yeah. says, if if it pulls back at all. Um, you know, don't be afraid to buy more. This is this is a theme for, unfortunately, the next whenever. And yeah. you know, with with the um, with the advent of uh, the metaverse, which is coming, which I wrote about this morning, uh, where we're going to have this virtual world where we can live how we like. I think it's just going to get more and more prevalent. So, yeah, yeah. bye. Okay. All right. Um, next stock is uh, Bailador Technology Investments, Henry. From my reading of this, it's like a, a listed venture capital fund, um, if you like, that invests yeah. in, uh, uh, in startup ventures in the tech area. We had yesterday on the call Fatfish, which is a similar 
company, but a lot smaller. And uh, both Luke and Owen basically said, sell fat fish and if you want to want that sector, Balador is a much bigger and more um, uh, conventional uh, venture capital group to get in there. I noticed recently they've got one uh, investment called SiteMinder that's heading for an IPO later this year that they reckon they'll make big profits on. Um, what do you think of Balador? Um, I've got to say, well, Balador was started up by David Kirk, who captained the All Blacks. And I, I met David uh, a long time ago when they first launched this, and nobody gave a stuff about this company, uh, this LIC as it is. Uh, nobody really cared about it because the, the things that it owned were really too hard to value. They were only valuable when we got to liquidity events, other, you know, a float or a, or a trade sale or something like that. And so for years it languished and did very, very little. But of course, as the tech appetite has grown, as the understanding of uh, early investment and then these liquidity events comes to fruition, it has really gathered pace. And the biggest investment they have is, is a thing called SiteMinder, as you say, which is a hotels uh, B2B kind of booking system. It's the back end of a lot of these, uh, you know, hotels.com and all that sort of thing. And it's coming to market and it's going to be a biggie. And of course, this is a big liquidity event for BTI, uh, Baylador. And I think the market's now got more comfortable with these things. You know, the, the problem that these guys have got is that, you know, there, there are... 400 deals being thrown at them. Uh, they must take meeting after meeting. I know that when I was uh, but a humble broker, you know, we'd, we'd take meeting after meeting after sort of hopeful wannabes pre-IPOs. Hey, you know, the valuation's five. If you get in now, uh, in two years' time, it'll be 25, 50 million or a billion or whatever. So it's really hard to take, you know, to sort the wheat from the chaff. But these guys seem to be building a pretty good track record. They've got a good pipeline of businesses coming to fruition, coming to these liquidity events. I don't mind this one, but the, I think the market is getting very carried away with the valuation of SiteMinder. It's trading at a premium to its NTA, which I think is around $1.50, and this is now trading, uh, I don't know, let's have a little look today, but it's it's above the NTA, and it's taking, it's $1.70. So it is trading above the NTA. Now, the NTA does not include the big uplift from SiteMinder yet but it still will be trading at a premium. I'm not, a, I just hate paying $1.10 for a dollar's worth of assets, especially if it, I find it hard to value those assets and I'm taking it on faith. So up here, it's a hold. The SiteMinder thing, if it goes really well, uh, will be an absolute ripper for them. Uh, they are not selling too many in the process. The, uh, the other one I guess you could draw some comparisons to would be Cadence Capital, Carl Siegling's fund which had a, um, an investment in an unlisted thing called the Metals Company, which picks oh. up nodules from the sea floor, uh, polymetallic nodules. Instead of mining, you just hoover them up. They're just there. Oh. You just pick them up. It's really easy. Apart from they're in 3,000 metres of ocean, of course, so that makes it a bit trickier. Uh, but they got very excited on the whole, the Metals Corp, which was a SPAC deal, and then that fell over a little bit, and they've suffered a bit. So um, if SiteMinder goes well, this will kick. It's a hold at these levels. I hate paying premiums for uh, yep. for licks that are uh, to uh, to their assets. That's all. Okay. They've, they've proved themselves. All right, uh, Andrew. What do you think of Balador? Thorny have one in this sector as well, don't they? An in investment fund. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Tech. 
Yeah, my Henry's all over tech, um, has been calling that correctly all the way through. And I wasn't uh, fully au fait with BTI, but uh, interesting business. SiteMinder, so just from my side of the desk, I was given the opportunity to bid for some SiteMinder. And normally, you know, like if you've got a, a pretty good float, you might get a, so the, the email comes through at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, um, sort of uh, Mexican time, eight o'clock real time. And um, normally you might, lunchtime, if it's going pretty well, you might get the hurry up. This was like half an hour. Like it opened and closed in half an hour. So right. the demand for SiteMinder is extreme. And to Henry's point, I think, what did I see? They made, um, have, they've made 22 times their money. BTI's made 22 times their money on their SiteMinder investment. So management have done incredibly well with this one. Uh, and they've got other ones in there as well. And so really when you're buying this, what you're doing is you're saying, I, humble investor, don't have access to the deals, the contacts, and I don't have the ability to analyze these uh, venture capital unlisted investments. I'm going to pay you, BTI, to do it for me. So from that point of view, they've done incredibly well, albeit off a, a very slow start. And Henry's right, like you see these all day, every day, and your eyes do start glazing over. So that's probably why it didn't go off so well to begin with. But I quite like it, but equally so, I'm not paying $1.70 for something that's $1.50 MTA. So I think we really need to let SiteMinder wash through, bearing in mind they're still going to keep about $85 million worth of SiteMinder, so they're selling off about 15% of their holding. They're still going to keep holding it, so that could potentially keep them firing along because if SiteMinder is a ripper, then that will directly impact their valuation. At the moment, it's about 12 cents of that $1.50 is SiteMinder. Right. So if SiteMinder goes off like a frog in a sock, BTI will continue to do so as well. But on any pullback, uh, I'm quite okay. liking it. I think it's all right. But uh, Henry's initial point, with these sorts of companies, they sit on, uh, they, they help these companies from the start. It can take a long time, you said, you know, they're selling out a, um, or it's now valued uh, 22 times what they put five million in in 2012. So it's it's taken that long uh, to to bring SiteMinder to market and get full value from it. So you've got to be a bit patient, like every venture capital group has got to be. Uh, our final stock, Riley wants a view on Endeavour Group, um, Andrew, the uh, the hotels and liquor business that was. Uh, previously in Woolworths, got spun out only a month or two ago, gave a bit of a trading update yesterday on its uh, on its revenues. And interestingly, its margins at Dan Murphy um, have exploded during lockdown. We've been drinking at home, but we've been drinking better plonk because we can't spend our money elsewhere. Yeah, yesterday, of course, was International Gin and Tonic Day. So, uh, I thought that was every day. <laughs> <laughs> That was our secret, Koshi, and I'm disappointed that you've chosen national TV as the opportunity to sort of break our confidence, but anyway. Uh, look, so we've got two favourite blue chips. We do do blue chips here occasionally, Koshi, uh, one of them being BHP. We spoke about that last week. The other one being Endeavour. 
And uh, that third quarter update yesterday didn't diminish that appetite uh, for Endeavour at all. We quite like Endeavour. As you said, it came out of Woolies and uh, arguably it came out of Woolies because some investors found Woolies uninvestable because of the pubs and clubs side and that whole um, concern around ESG. Um, Our view is that, you know, people will do what people do. And in times of adversity, they're in fact more likely to have a drink and a punt. So it's a really a, a defensive business. And if you have a look at, as you said, some of those numbers from yesterday, one of the takeaway lines I took from it is that, or analogies, is that you're really buying a Bunnings-like business. You're buying a caterpillar business when you're looking at Endeavour because that Dan Murphy's business, it is eight times bigger, eight times bigger than Coles and their liquor business. Um, And around 65% of their business comes from that sort of Dan Murphy side. Uh, Strong demand on online sales, huge demand. But, you know, the handbrake in the very short term is, of course, without being Captain Obvious, 40% of their business was under lockdown, you know, by virtue of the New South Wales and Victorian lockdown. So that's impacted their earnings. They're looking forward to a very strong uh, Christmas and holiday trade. And uh, I think we're back in the 660s at the moment. So I'm super comfortable buying this one. Okay. Uh, Henry? How good is pub? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, uh, you know, how good is pub? It's good to be back out there in some respects. Uh, I like this one as well. It's got a lot of drivers for, uh, for the reopening trade. Uh, it does, you know, it's, it's all conquering in that liquor space in terms of, uh, of retail with Dan Murphy's. It really is all conquering. It is like Bunnings, category killer for sure. I, I guess the issue um, which could weigh on them a little bit is that people get used to uh, drinking at home. They get used to buying stuff at home and rather than going out to the pub and buying stuff. And it becomes a bit of a shock when you're paying you know, 50, 55 bottles for a bottle of uh, $20 wine in, the, in your local yeah. pub as opposed to uh, Dan Murphy. So uh, that that might be a bit of an issue. But having said that, then they pick it up on the Dan Murphy side of things. Mm. So, you know, they've pretty much got it covered. I think this one is is a buy. It's not the most exciting, but it is a reopening play. It's, it's bounced quite well on the reopening. And uh, I think, you know, it's probably trying to find a bit of a level now and it could kick again. Christmas is coming. Um, New Year, summer, people are going to be out and about socialising, yep. spending money on on uh, on wine and okay. on, in the pub and on the pokies. All right. What's not um, to like? Endeavour a buy. All right, guys. Thank you for that. Andrew Whelan from DP Wealth Advisory. Always great to have you on board. And Henry Jennings from Marcus today. Uh, very entertaining panel as always. See you guys. Have a good rest of the week. Thanks, David. Uh, let's Thanks, recap Andrew. the uh, final five stocks and couple of good buys there. Uh, Stuff Armour, a no uh, from Henry, a hold from Andrew. That's uh, already been in the uh, uh, in the calls portfolio. It now comes out. Nickel Mines, a yes from both goes in. Beta Cyber Security, ETF, uh, a yes from both. That goes into the calls portfolio. Uh, Balador, good business. Watch it at these levels. Wait for a bit of a pullback. So hold from both. 
and then Deva Group is a buy from both as well. Uh, that's our show for today. If you've got any stocks you want us to cover, flick us an email or call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. See all the stocks in the calls portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. See you same time tomorrow at midday. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.